Good morning. We're going to be reading from Luke 3, verses 9 to 20 from the Christian Standard Bible this morning. And this is John the Baptist speaking at the beginning. He says, The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What then should we do? The crowds were asking him. He replied to them, The one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none, and the one who has food must do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He told them, Don't collect any more than what you have been authorized. And some soldiers also questioned him, What should we do? He said to them, Don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. Now the people were waiting expectantly, and all of them were questioning in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I am is coming. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. Then, along with many other exhortations, he proclaimed good news to the people. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the evil things he had done, Herod added this to everything else. He locked up John in prison. Luke chapter 3, uh, kind of continuing on from uh, where we left off last week, uh, looking at the ministry of John the Baptist. Um, John the Baptist got some, some stuff to say to us this morning. Um, and and um, John the Baptist is a pretty serious guy, so I guess it's going to be a pretty serious sermon. <laughs> and I made a joke. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Okay. So, um, I think that all of us, whether we think about it or not, uh, understand the importance of evidence. Like when someone makes a claim, there needs to be some evidence to, to it. And even if you don't like think deeply about it, when someone makes a claim to you, you think through what you know. So for instance, when I asked my son, did you play with markers? Okay. And he says no to me, but his hands are different colored. I'm like, well, you might've said no. But the evidence is showing something else. Yeah. So we all do this. Right. You, you know. And so, so you, you evaluate the truth of a statement by the evidence that you see. It's natural. Everyone does it. Now, what's interesting is how do we evaluate repentance? How do we evaluate repentance? Is it just somebody says I repent? Is it just somebody say, yeah, yeah. You know, I love people say, uh, God knows my heart, which is, that's not a non-true statement. That's true. He does. But repentance is seen through some evidence. So Christians are those who have repented and put faith in Christ. And if that is true, there would be some corresponding evidence to that claim. And so we're going to investigate what is the evidence of repentance. Let's ask the Lord for help. Father, I, I ask that you would speak to us through your word this morning, that Christ would be glorified, 
and that you would pour out your spirit on us that we would have eyes to see and, and ears to hear and that your word would sink down deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So, beloved, true repentance has fruit. True repentance has fruit. Look at verse 7. This is uh, 9, 7. It says, he, John the Baptist, he then said to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't start saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children from Abraham from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So you see, the context is uh, in John the Baptist's ministry, uh, there was a little revival. You know, there was, a, there was a work of the Lord and there were crowds going over to John to hear his preaching to be baptized by him. And, and when you see a large crowd, especially if you see a large crowd around some preaching, you're like, oh man, God is present. God is doing something unique. We should pay attention. But also we need to beware of religious hype and hypocrisy. We need to understand that a large crowd is not necessarily a work of God, and a special experience is not necessarily the long-term work of God. It may indeed be the beginning, but a work of God has to be sustained through everyday obedience. So it's not enough that there is this one-time experience, that we had this marvelous understanding and that we had some goosebumps in our heart and we felt all funny in the tummy. It's not just that. Repentance shows itself evident, not in just one-time experiences, but in long-term, everyday obedience. See, the transformative work of God is seen through consistent holiness in the small things. Repentance has real fruit. In the last week we talked about repentance. It refers to a deeply seated and thorough turning from self to God. It occurs where a radical turning to God takes place in an experience in which God is recognized as the most important fact of one's existence. Now, that's a large statement, and that should have some tangible effects. It should mark one's life. When, when, you, when, when Jesus says, and when John the Baptist says, repent, he's saying, listen, I want you to reorient your lives around the person of Christ. I want you to reorient your lives around what Jesus says in his gospel. And if that is going to happen, there will be some evidence. And so we have in these religious leaders that were coming uh, to see this, that, that they were relying on uh, evidence other than fruit for their justification. They were relying on some other things to make them right with God. And, and John the Baptist, he addresses this. And he says, listen, listen, I know you said that you're children of Abraham. Abraham is a major figure uh, in the Old Testament. He's the father of the Jewish people. And they're like, listen, you know, Abraham's our dad, all right? He's, you know, great, 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 great grandfather. And because he's a great, great, great grandfather, we, we probably cool. 
I mean, me and we, we cool with God because Abraham, you know, he, he's, he's the big daddy and, 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 and we come from him. But what John is saying is that God's acceptance is not reliant on ethnic or cultural affiliation. Each person will have to stand before God alone. You're not going to stand up there with your family. You're not going to stand up there with your crew. It's going to be you. And you can't rely on what somebody else did. You're not going to be evaluated based on what somebody else has done. It's like expecting to get an A because you sat next to the straight A student, but you did not study. Grades don't come through osmosis, y'all. Right? You, you, can't, you can't just rely because of who you are around. John the Baptist is saying, listen, I know you have a religious pedigree. I know you're excited about your ethnic identity. And look, that's, that's all fine and good. But that alone is not going to give you God's acceptance. And not only that, John the Baptist is saying this, God will analyze and judge false repentance. Look what, what he says in verse 9. He says, the axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, for a, a long time every year, me and my family would go to uh, pick apples, right? Now, there was a couple years where we went a month too late. You ever, been, you ever done that? And you're just like, doggone it, I, they all on the ground and mushy. You know, like, and you just feel all, you feel, you know, I'm like, it's September. You're supposed to go in August, you know? So, I, you know, every year we feel real frustrated when we go pick apples. Now, now imagine if we went to go pick apples at prime time, but the trees didn't have any fruit. And I would go to the, the apple orchard manager, like, listen, now you need this. You said this is an apple tree. Ain't no apples on this tree. Now, if he's going to maintain his business, he better plant some apple trees. Yeah, if he's going to maintain his integrity, if he's going to give this enjoyment of the fall season. See, God, when he looks at, at his people, he, he wants to see some fruit. He wants to see some, something that he can enjoy and that we can enjoy. And if the thing doesn't bear fruit, the scripture says it's cut down. Not only that, in verse 10, we see that repentance is seen in one's everyday life. In verse 10, it says, what then should we do? So the crowd's listening to John. He had some harsh words to say. We're like, we shouldn't be like them Pharisees. What should we do, right? What should we do? The crowds are asking. He replied to them, the one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none. The one who has food must do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He told them, don't collect any more than what you've been authorized. Some soldiers also questioned him, what should we do? He said to them, don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. I don't know what they were expecting John the Baptist to say. Maybe they were expecting like, maybe you should go to the temple and make five sacrifices. I don't know what they were expecting him to say. But what he's saying is, is repentance is seen in how you treat others. Repentance is individuals who treat others with love and respect. Jesus uh, signifies this in Matthew 7, 12. He says, therefore, whatever you want others uh, to do to you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. What John the Baptist is saying is, is everyday interactions must be infused with that. If you got extra, then share it. 
He's saying we ought to treat others with dignity and respect. So, so the evidence of this vertical transformation that happens between the individual soul and God is seen through how that soul treats those around them. The Pharisees had it twisted. They thought that, well, listen, we, 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 we do all these spiritual things. We memorize all these laws. We, we, we all, every day we do spiritual stuff. And Jesus said, but, but your actions towards others, that does not match what you are saying has happened in your heart. See, see, see repentance is this call to love. But listen, true love is costly. Right? I mean, he, he, he's saying, listen, you got some extra stuff. You need to give it away. That costs you something, yeah? True love, it costs time. We offer patient and active listening. In other words, no one is too small to listen to. True love costs energy. We serve people with our, with our efforts. We find tangible ways of service. True love costs resources. Extra money and resources are, are tools given to you by God to serve those around you. And so the question of have you repented can be phrased like this. Do you love others with your time? Do you love others with your energy? Do you love others with your resources? This is how to discern if repentance is true. If it is bearing the fruit that is pleasing to God and that serves other people. And not only how you treat just random individuals, John the Baptist answers some questions about, about people and their jobs, really. And what he's saying is that true repentance looks like integrity in your vocation. Now, vocation is a fancy word, but all it means is the rules, excuse me, it's not rules, the roles and responsibilities that are given to you by God. And so the tax collectors come, they're like, John the Baptist, you're preaching this good message, I'm feeling it. What should I be doing? Okay, what do I need to do? Now, a, a, a little context is that at that time, I don't, I don't know if tax collectors are all ever looked at super great, but <laughs> like, at that time, they were really, really not liked, okay? Uh, tax collectors, they were backed by this oppressive government and were known to extort people to take more money than they should have. And John the Baptist said, hey, I know you got, a, I know you got this job, and you got some, some roles and responsibilities that you could actually abuse and you could hurt people. And so what you need to do to display repentance is that you do your job with integrity. Is that you don't take more money than you're supposed to take. Is that you don't use your power to abuse other people. The soldiers came with the same thing. And the soldiers, the way they function is like the soldiers are both soldiers and police, right? Remember, Israel is occupied by the Romans. And so the soldiers are not like your friends. There's some, other, some people from other uh, countries who are, who are occupying your territory. They, they function as, as the local uh, law enforcement. And, and what he says to them is, listen, listen, soldiers, you, you got some power too. And so you have to have integrity about money. You don't just take some, some money and take, take a bribe. And, 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 and you, this is a funny thing. It says that they were to be content with their wages. The reason they said that is because there was this tendency to revolt from their superiors so they could get some money. So like even you have to respect your authority. 
He's saying, listen, repentance looks like those everyday roles and responsibilities that you have, that you do them with integrity, that you display love, and that if you have power, that it is not abused in how you treat those who are under you. Listen, by the virtue of having a role and responsibility, you have some power. Some of you might, I ain't, I ain't got no kind of power. Listen, listen, those who are parents, those who are parents, you have power over your kids. Not like even, even if you're at the lowest rung of the company, your work affects other people, yeah? Your work affects those other people. And so even in that sense, the way that you behave has power to affect those around us. And so we use our roles, listen, listen, not to enrich ourselves or cut corners, but to serve those around us. And John the Baptist is saying repentance is seen through how you handle your roles and relationships. This is tangible repentance. And y'all, it's observable and measurable. Yeah? It's not like something like, I don't know. I can't see spiritually. That's not what he's asking you to do. He's saying, in your roles and responsibilities, the relationships you have in your household, your, your spouse, your kids, the, the, the relationship you have at work, the relationships you have in your uh, uh, neighborhood, all those things, the, the people that you impact every day. He's saying, listen, listen, are you serving them well? Are you, are you acting with integrity? This is not God knows my heart. That's, that's not what it is. Because the task could be like, listen, John, look, man. I know I stole some money, okay? I used my power. I, I needed the new Xbox, okay? I stole a little bit of money, okay? But God knows my heart. And John said, yes, he does. And the ax is laid at the root. <laughs> like, stop playing. <laughs> now, this, this is a huge calling. And, and, and the question is, who can help us begin and sustain this true repentance? Look at verse 15. It says, now the people were waiting expectantly and all of them were questioning in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with a fire that never goes out. Now, context is, context is king. Context is king. So what's, what is going on here? See, the people at this time, they had a, a particular hope. They had a hope. Uh, Zephaniah 3.19 talks about this hope they had. It says, yes, at that time I will deal with all who oppress you. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts. I will make those who are disgraced through the earth receive praise and fame. See, they were expecting someone to come and bring a utopian society. And so when John the Baptist is preaching, he got power and he's standing up to the Pharisees. They're like, is it him? Is he, is he going to do this thing? Is, it, is, is he the one? Listen, they were expecting uh, someone to, to defeat their oppressors. They were looking for a political leader. They wanted to see some change from the top down. Like maybe this John the Baptist guy is going to make it happen. Yet Christ begins this transformation in individual human hearts. Listen, they wanted to see some top down change. 
But Christ, he says in the scripture that his kingdom is like this small little seed. And that when it blooms and grows, it spreads. It doesn't come in these, these, these huge, political, powerful ways. The kingdom comes first to human hearts and then through human hearts. John the Baptist is saying, listen, I know you, you think it's me that's going to make this change, but I, I, I can't even tie the man's shoes who's actually going to do this change. Christ is the one that makes this change. And in a way, John the Baptist is just like every other Christian. He's just a preacher pointing to Christ. Listen, we don't have power in ourselves to even change ourselves. So when we're speaking about the hope of the gospel, we're talking about something that's a hope and a power that does not even belong to us. But the one to whom it belongs, he is faithful and he is the one who can produce change. And that's what John the Baptist is talking about. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This idea of baptism, like when somebody gets baptized, they get dunked in some water. He's saying, listen, listen, like when Jesus comes, he's going to immerse you in the Spirit. You're going to be swimming in God's presence. And that is how you are going to have the power to live out this tangible repentance. He's saying he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This is this, this purifying fire that, that, that burns away the things that hold us down. He will purify our hearts as we repent. And not only that, John about says that he will judge the world and bring justice. This whole part, I know that we don't do a lot of farming. So when he said his winnowing shovel was in his hand to clear his threshing floor, everybody's like, oh, you know me too. I don't do farming either, okay? But what's going on is he's discerning between the wheat and the shaft. So when, when, you, when you do this, this gathering of, of what you have picked, some of it is good to use and some of it is not good to use. And what he's saying is the wheat is those who trust in him. Yet the chaff, those who have not produced fruit, they don't get the purifying fire, they get the punitive fire. Listen, if we don't own up to, to our, our, our lack of righteousness now, there will be a day when we will have to stand before the one who is the judge. So John is saying, be purified now. Come to him now. Flee from the wrath to come now. When we get to verse 18, we see that God commands all people, no matter their status, to repent. In verse 18, it says, Then along with many other exhortations, he proclaimed good news to the people. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the evil things he had done, Herod, addressed, excuse, Herod added this to everything else. He locked up John in prison. We talked about last week how Herod wasn't, wasn't a good dude, how he stole his brother's wife. And, and John the Baptist, he, he was going to say what he was going to say, didn't matter who it was. All right. So people come and how should I repent? And he said, let's say Herod came out there. Maybe he was uh, trying to be all fancy. Maybe he was trying to show, oh, look how religious I am. And John the Baptist said, well, if you really going to be religious, if you really going to be repentant, then this is how it works out tangibly. See, no earthly status is excluded from repentance. The message of repentance is not a respecter of persons. Everyone, no matter how high or how low, is called to repent. And what we also see in the life of John the Baptist is preaching repentance is costly. Preaching repentance is costly. 
One of my favorite Christians in, in history, his name is, is Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor uh, during uh, the World War II. He was, uh, he was in Germany when the Nazis had taken over and, and everyone was compromised. And all the churches were like, yeah, we're cool with the Nazis. And he was like, but no, we're not. <laughs> We're, not, we're actually not called to hate people like that. We're actually not called to, 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 to synchronize our faith like that. And, 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 and he not only stood up to them, he not only went to a concentration camp, but he was martyred for his faith. And in his writing, he says this. He says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's baptism without church discipline. It's communion without confession. It's absolution without personal confession. It's cheap grace is a grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. It's so unique that the gospel is free, but yet it does cost you everything. You don't, you, you don't earn it, but it does make demands. And, and repentance is saying, all of my life belongs to Christ Jesus. And that means not just the time where I'm spending with the Lord, but it means when I'm out and about doing my everyday life, how I interact with people, how I handle my roles and responsibilities, how I sacrifice to those around us, that is the avenue and the arena of repentance. And in that way, repentance is like a sword because it confronts you. It confronts us in our sin. Yet at the same time, repentance is like setting a bone that has been, been out of place and setting it correct. It hurts, but, but it functions better afterwards. See, repentance might seem painful, but repentance is healing. You know, John the Baptist, is, he points to Christ. He points to the one who actually accomplishes our salvation, the one who, who produces repentance in the heart. And what Christ did is Christ died and rose again to give you the ability to repent. You know, one of the, the prophets that speaks the most about judgment, his name is Jesus actually, he talks about the fires of judgment a lot. But what's unique about that is Christ endured the fire of our judgment on the cross. In our failures, Christ, he took that on the cross. We have failed in our vocations. We have not, we have not lived up to all of our roles and responsibilities. And that's just not checking boxes. That's letting real people down, yeah? Look, Christ did not fail in anything. You understand how much, how, let me tell you how important roles and responsibilities are to Christ. When Christ is on the cross, he is being crucified for the sins of the world. He looks down and he sees his mom. All right, he sees his mom there. And it seems, the, the, the scholars say it didn't seem like anybody's going to take care of her at that point. And Jesus is the oldest son. And it looks like Joseph is dead. He's on the cross suffering for the sins of the world and he looks at his disciple John and he says, John, that's your mama now. What he's saying is as he's dying for the sins of the world, he is taking his roles and responsibility seriously all the way to the end. Listen, we have failed, but he is not and he has taken our punishment. And Christ rose again with all power in his hands and comes to live in Christians by the power of the Spirit. Listen, 
the same one who rose with all power and authority in his hands. He comes to live in you. And so when repentance looks daunting, when it looks like you're too weak for it, that actually is true. But the one who is not too weak for it, when you confess him, he comes and lives in you. The one who fulfilled all his roles and responsibilities says, I'm going to come live in you and I'm going to empower you to follow me. So again, we see the primary arena of repentance is vocation. It's our roles and responsibilities. It's our everyday relationships. So that makes it tangible. We, listen, we follow Christ. We bear our cross through our roles and responsibilities. Sometimes that means showing patience to that family member. Don't, don't say their name though. You show impatience to that family member. That's you repenting. Some, it's like last week when one of my children wet the bed and I'm tired as all get out and I had to get up and change the sheets. Now, if I did that with a joyful heart, that's repentance. And we're not going to say if I did it or not with a joyful heart. Now, now, listen, it means that in all our roles and responsibilities, we are maintaining integrity. And that we are redeeming any power that we have. See, Christ used his authority. He used his role and responsibility as the, as the leader of the disciples, and he washed his disciples' feet. That's what he did. So we use our authority to bless people. We use our roles and responsibilities to bless people. And that, that is the arena through which repentance is lived out. In other words, we're, we're pointing to another ethic. We're pointing to another kingdom if we live out repentance. See, listen, if, if, if everyday Christians are living out repentance in everyday ways, that is beautiful and persuasive. Yeah? If you got a coworker that's just doing their job really, really well, and they are not, you know, talking back when somebody's wilding out, and they are serving you. You're like, man, that, thank you. <laughs> that has served me. No, it is beautiful and persuasive. And so imagine a collection of lives that repent through how they love and treat those around them, how they live out their roles and responsibilities. See, when Jesus says repent for the kingdom of heaven is here, that's what it looks like when we are living through our everyday lives, loving others well, we can say the kingdom of heaven is there. And we're pointing to the reality that there is a king who can produce that same fruit in any person who would repent and come to him. So all I have to say is glory to Christ Jesus who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit and purifying fire so that we can repent and love and serve those around us. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you so much for your mercy, <laughs> your grace, how you, you see our, our lives and the areas of our failures and uh, our, our griping attitudes, Lord God, and, and you offer us forgiveness and you offer us transformation through Christ Jesus. So Lord, I ask that you would empower all of us to live out tangible repentance in our everyday lives. That because your love 
has been poured into our heart by the Spirit that we would love and serve those around us. Lord, we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.